0: Hey everyone, we're going to do things a little differently today. I'm coming to you from my dining room, which is kind of cool. It's too bad that we can't be together this weekend, but uh, we're going to still take this chance to get into God's Word together. So I'm going to preach a sermon to you from my house. Let's try it and see how it goes. Okay, so what I was going to start by telling you this week is that I'm not a tremendously huge movie guy. But the one movie that I have seen that I really like, one of my favorites, it's called The Princess Bride. Some of you have probably seen that. Yeah, it's a good 80s movie, right? And, and I won't give out any spoilers, but essentially there's, there's one scene in the movie where a few of the characters uh, go to see Billy Crystal's character. He was called Miracle Max in that movie. So they, they go to Miracle Max to see if their friend is dead, and Miracle Max takes a look at the friend and he says... Your friend here, he isn't all dead. He's only mostly dead. He said, now with with mostly dead, there are things we can do. He said, with all dead, there's usually one thing left to do. And that's go through the pockets and look for loose change. Now, this mostly dead, all dead kind of stuff comes into play a little bit today where we're going to take a look at another church among the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And, and, and we've been studying these because we're trying to see what God's will is for us as a church. We're trying to look at different things that God is looking for and expecting of the church. And this section of Scripture is all uh, full of all kinds of those. So that's why we're here. And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. That's where we're going to be camping out today. And to start out... I'm a little bit disappointed. I can't show you the map on the screen, but you'll have to just imagine it. I'm sure it's everything that you will imagine it to be. Now, this text starts out by saying in, in, in Revelation 3.1, one, it says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write. Now, Sardis, I don't know if you're like me, I hear sardines when I say that. That's my small mind at work, so you're welcome. Sardis, couple of quick things. It was a city that was synonymous with wealth. It was a very wealthy city, very rich. In fact, some believe it was the earliest kingdom to start using minted coins. And it was also a trading center and a textile hub around the first century AD when this text was written. Something interesting for you about Sardis, the city geographically was built on a hill. It's more like a rock. And the people there felt very safe and secure And they said, no one's going to be able to attack us. We live in this impenetrable fortress, essentially. However, on two different occasions in the history of Sardis, the city was captured and overtaken. You say, well, how did that happen? History tells us it was because the city watchmen weren't paying attention. It's kind of a fail, right? They felt so safe and so secure so sure of themselves that they slacked off from their duties and it led to their downfall and their demise. And and I just find that so interesting because we're going to see some pretty close parallels actually between that piece of history of the city of Sardis and what's said to the church in Sardis. So let's continue. The text says, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Okay, we've talked about some of this stuff. The seven spirits of God, there's only really one spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit. And and, and we've said that this may be a figurative description for the Holy Spirit. Now, when it talks about the seven stars, again, this is also possibly figurative, symbolic language, perhaps for the angels of the churches that we've talked about and are in reference here. We're not going to get bogged down in those details. What I want you to see is who's being referred to here. It says, The words of him who. The him in reference here is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, again, Jesus, the all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing one. He's the head of the church, and he knows exactly what's going on in the church. And he illustrates this further when he goes on to say, I know your works. He knows. He sees it all. And I would submit this to you as well. He knows and sees everything that goes on at the harbor in our church as well. And we want to make sure that we are people living in a way that is pleasing in his sight. So, over the past weeks, we have followed the formula of looking at the commendations, the good things that Jesus has to say to each church. And then we've looked at the rebukes, the corrections, the not-so-good things that Jesus has to say. Today, we're going to switch the order up a little bit, and we're going to look at the rebukes first, because these guys in Sardis weren't doing so hot. So let's start on rebukes. We're still in verse 1. Jesus says to them, you have the reputation of being alive. In other words, people look at this church in Sardis, and they think it's a great church, it appears as though it's thriving, maybe vibrant stuff happening, could be an energy, an enthusiasm. Just by looking at it it looks like it's an alive church, a living church. But Jesus says, you are dead. So looks can be deceiving. okay That means that we can't just judge something simply by the way that it looks. There's a story in my family of my parents when they first got together, they were teenagers and they started dating, and their first Christmas together, I won't tell you what year it was, their first Christmas together, my dad gave my mom this great big box, and you can just imagine what she's thinking, right, by looking at the outside of it, this looks like a really awesome present. Probably something big, expensive. All the other girls will be jealous. What a boyfriend I have. I've really struck it here. And Christmas morning comes around and she opens the box. And inside of it is another smaller box. You can see where this is going. Inside of that there was a smaller box and a smaller box and a smaller box. And, and finally she gets to the end, the smallest box. And she opens it up and inside there's a single peanut That was it. Just a single peanut. Now, my parents, that was many years ago, they're still together and happily married, so my mother is obviously a long-suffering woman. Why I said that is because I want you to see that things aren't always as they appear. This verse, we are talking about the Bible, this verse shows us that even when we may have everybody else fooled, We can't fool God. And you know what? Sometimes we try. It doesn't work. And Jesus is wise to their act. They're not going to slip it past him. I want to just keep kind of going on this. Sometimes what we think is good and right and needed and worth time and attention is not the same as what God thinks. And in churches we do this all right, we think, well, if we're going to be successful as a church, we need to have this, we got to have that, we got to be doing this, we need to have this kind of worship style, we need to have this kind of teaching, we need to have this sort of programming. And listen, those things may be fine and well and good in and of themselves, but if we start from that place as a church, we are missing the more important question, and it's this, what does God think? What does God think? What we think might not necessarily be wrong, but the moment it becomes different than what God thinks, then we're wrong. You see what I'm saying? So as a church, we need to make sure that we don't just have the appearance of being one way or another. We, we, we can't just look at ourselves and say, hey, look at all the stuff we've got going on. We're checking off all the boxes. We think it's great. Therefore, we're an awesome church. We're doing awesome. Because what does God think? So more importantly, we need to make sure we are truly living how God wants us to live and and truly being the kind of people he wants us to be. Now it doesn't say a lot about specifically how this church in Sardis was dead, but the implication here is that even though it looked like things were going okay, there was something wrong on the inside. And it's implied that these guys didn't even realize it. Based on the next verse, which says in verse 2, Jesus says, Wake up! Wake up. You know who you don't have to say that to is someone who is awake and knows what's going on. So he's saying wake up, get, get it into gear, get out of this rut you're in. Right? Stop just going through the motions, stop just going on autopilot. Snap out of it fast. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So they were somewhere between mostly dead and all dead. You need to understand with a lot of spiritual things, that would include things of the church, there are some things that only God can do. Absolutely is the truth. God, only God, for instance, can search hearts, convict hearts, um, cause someone to realize their need to be saved, etc. These are things that we can't do. And, and while understanding that, though, we have to also understand that we're not to just do nothing ourselves. We're not to just sit on our hands as a church. God's going to do everything. To be sure, okay, God does pretty much all the heavy lifting, but we still have a, a part to play as well. And I'll give you an example. At my house, which you're tuning in from, wherever you're watching from, Uh, We have a wood furnace at our house down in the basement. And sidebar and shameless plug, wood heat is the best and I don't care what you say. On a nice minus 35 day outside, you just crank that furnace up, throw lots of wood in there. The house is warm. The floors are warm. It's glorious. Anyway, back at the ranch. There are a lot of things in the fire-producing and heat-giving processes that I can't control. I can't just snap my fingers and have a fire magically appear. I don't control the properties of wood that make it combustible. I don't control the science behind how you strike a match and the tip of it bursts into flame. I can't control the nature behind how and why wood gives off heat the way it does. These are things that just are... And because they are, I can, I can utilize them. I can live in light of those. It's possible for me to have a fire and keep my house warm. However, just because it's possible for me to have a fire doesn't mean I automatically have a fire. I still have to build the fire in the firebox. I still have to light the match. I still have to get the thing going. I, I have to keep adding wood to the fire as, as time goes on. Those are things I can control. But if I don't do anything, that fire is going to fizzle out and die. Or just never get built in the first place. And it's just a freezing cold house and everybody's miserable. What Jesus is saying here is, hey, make sure you're doing your part to not let the fire go out. God's going to do his part. but We need to make sure we're doing our part. We'll talk more about that. He says, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So Jesus is saying, I'm not not done with you guys yet. You guys aren't finished. There are more people to love, more people to serve, more people to share the gospel with, more lives to be changed, more ministry to be done. He's saying, hey, quit messing around, guys. Remember, verse 3, then, what you received and heard and just because I can't quiz you in person I'll have to just tell you via video what they had received and heard and what we have received and heard is the gospel the gospel the good news about Jesus and here's the good news we have all stumbled, fallen short, sinned separated ourselves from God every one of us But God loves us so much that he gave his only son. He made a way for that problem to be fixed for us. He sent Jesus to the earth. He died on a cross in our place for our sins and paid for them all. So now when we believe in Jesus, when we accept his sacrifice, when we trust in him for salvation, we are saved. We are freed. We are forgiven. We are made new. We, we have received new purpose and new life and new meaning and new significance and new mission from God. We, we now, instead of vainly trying to work for our salvation and work for uh, trying to get right with God, now we are right with God and we can work alongside of him and with him in serving him. Uh, and, and this good news also entails that when this life is over, we will have eternal life with God. This is very good news. And Jesus is saying, remember it. He says, hey, remember the gospel, cling to the gospel, and live your life in light of it. The gospel, friends, should change the way that we live. Keep it. Keep the gospel. And repent. There it is. Repent again. Turn it around. Turn back to God. Turn away from what you're doing Seek and pursue the Lord. If you will not wake up, Jesus says, here's a warning he's issuing. He says, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now this language is used in other places in the New Testament as well. And the message here is pretty clear, guys. If this church doesn't turn it around, Jesus is going to intervene personally. He is going to come in and shut them down. He's not just going to let them die, which is the direction they're progressing in. He's actually going to intervene before that, and he's going to put it to death himself. You say, I mean, I'm not the Lord, but like Jesus, like I'm not sure you're supposed to do that. Well, that's how serious it is. That's how much uh, he wants us to be in his will and, and being the kind of people and doing the kind of things he wants us to be. That's how important this is. Those are the stakes here. So, this church in Sardis, again, not really doing very well. Not not a great season of ministry in Sardis. But there are a couple of commendations. I want us to see those. There was a little bit of good stuff. Uh, He says in verse 4 Yet, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. So, even though things were pretty bad, pretty dead. There were evidently a few in this church who were still doing okay, right? They were right in the sight of God. They had not soiled their garments, as it says. This maybe refers to their strong personal faith, uh, maybe their obedience, their boldness, their works, whatever the case may be. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I love that image, they will walk with me. Like this speaks to this remaining faithful few. They will live in fellowship with God. They will be close to God. They will enjoy his presence. And friends, this is what we should all be aiming for. This isn't just talking about when we go to heaven. This is talking about the here and now. Like we can be close to God, have fellowship with God, and a relationship with God now, today. That's what he's inviting us into. It's wonderful. Walk with me in white for they are worthy. Remember we talked the other week about how white represents purity and innocence, blamelessness, being without fault. What I want you to see is that even in spite of the weaknesses of their church, God can still cause people to flourish. So, and I'm not saying this is the situation for any of you in our church, but I'm just saying if you ever find yourself in a position where you're saying, well, My church is no good, my church is terrible, therefore my faith is really struggling and I'm doing terribly in my faith. It's all my church's fault. I would would caution you against saying that because, yes, the church probably does have some stake in that, but what this is telling me is that I have some stake in it myself. So I need to make sure I'm doing what I need to do. can't just blame it all on somebody else. The one who conquers, verse 5, this is the one again who trusts in Jesus, serves him faithfully, lives in obedience, who, who ultimately experiences a victory through Christ. The one who conquers will be clothed, clothed. I've been tripping up over that all week, thus, in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. In other words, these people are saved, they're good. God will welcome them into his loving presence in the end. They they have eternal, everlasting life waiting for them. He says, I will confess his name before my father and his angels. So, again, this is pretty clear. We read in other places in the New Testament that we will go and stand before God one day to be judged. And simply put, if we belong to Jesus, he will advocate for us. It says he will confess our names before the Father and his angels. He will say, they're with me. I've got them covered. And we will be okay. If you are hearing this, obviously online, um, and you're not a Christian, I, I, I just would be remiss if I didn't point out to you that if you don't know Jesus the story will be a little different for you. On that day when you stand before God, uh, you will not be covered. You will not be protected. And uh, you will be cast out. And I'm not saying that to, you know, throw the religious fire on you and scare you. I'm just saying my hope for you is that you would desire to come to know Jesus and he will fix that for you. Among lots of other things. Um, you can get in touch with the church if you want to know more about that. Seriously. Last verse in our text, it's your classic ending for this part of the Bible. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if we're hearing this, we would do well to pay attention to it and and to live our lives in light of it. I'm getting tired. This is like, I don't know, this is different. I'm getting tired. But we're going to keep soldiering on because I want to talk for a few minutes about us. What about us? What about us, the Harbour Church, in 2020? Where do we stand in all this? A couple of thoughts for you. My immediate thought is that this would be an opportunity to take a good hard look inside ourselves, inside our firebox, so to speak, and to make sure the fire in here is doing okay. Uh, and, and to be honest with ourselves about it. These guys inside us probably thought they were alive and well, but Jesus knew them better, and he said they were dead. So they needed a bit of a reality check. And I'm saying it's very dangerous and can be very damaging when we just continue on in our ways. Uh, we, we refuse to check under the hood, so to speak. We just insist everything's fine. We're not going to bother checking, uh, consulting, considering. Man, all of a sudden in our faith we're way over here. Well, how'd that happen? Now, with regard to our church, guys, honestly, I truly don't believe that we are a dead church. As I've considered and kind of prayed over this, uh, I, I don't think this is where we're at. But, to be perfectly honest, none of you can like throw something at me right now, so now's the time. Uh, the, the leadership, like, we're not super happy with where we are, by the same token. Put it this way, now is definitely not the time where we want to just put our feet up and rest on how amazing things are going. You understand? Uh, We need to be diligent to make sure we are doing our part as a church to not only keep the fire burning, but to help it grow. We want growth in literally every sense of the word I can think of. We want that for our church. Now, you might ask, what does a dead church look like? You know, are there signs, symptoms, ways I can tell if a church is dead or not? Now, I'll give you a few. This is not an exhaustive list, nor is it meant to be super amazingly pinpoint definitive, but you'll get the idea, uh, the heart here. Um, th- the first one I want to point out, um, something that you'll sometimes will see in a dead church, is, for one, heartless religion. Uh, this 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 is where... We would go through the motions, the repetitions, the rituals, but but the heart is totally disconnected. And in this, you know, we're not drawing closer to God. We're not drawing closer to each other through the things that we're doing. We're just doing them because we think we should do them or because, here's a classic church one, we've always done them and we've always done it this way. Or maybe just, I don't know, our conscience feels better if we do them. I I want to pause and just sidebar on this quickly. I am not at all trying to downplay uh, repetition and rituals and traditions in the church. Some of them can be very, very meaningful and and heartfelt. I know some of you guys maybe grew up in more structured, maybe liturgical kind of backgrounds. Some of you have like Anglican roots, for instance. And maybe this was your experience, just very kind of rigid, repetitive, uh, traditional kind of thing. That's wonderful as long as it is drawing our hearts closer to Jesus. If through that ritual you are drawing closer to Jesus, then it's a good ritual. So we're not downplaying them at all. Heartless religion, another thing in it is like this is where you see that people are just trying really, really hard to keep the rules. A lot of rules God didn't actually make or say, we just have them. And and, and and we heap heavy rebuke on people when they fail to measure up to the rules. There's no grace. There's just burdens. This is where we look like we're doing great. We look like we're strong in the faith. We look like we're doing everything right and saying everything right. But it's all just a mask and, and a shell on the outside. And to this sort of heartless religion, if this was the kind of people we were, here's what Jesus would say from Matthew 15:8. He would say, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. In a, in a dead church, oftentimes you'll see heartless religion. Number two is a lack of love. I, I'm not making an understatement when I say that love is a major theme in the scriptures. You know that. And it needs to be a major theme in our lives as believers as well. Uh, I often point us back to Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus says, the absolute most important things we can do are love God and love other people. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, hey, if you go out and do all sorts of wonderful things, but you're not loving, you actually have nothing. We should be able to clearly see and point to love in the church okay it's not just something you say though you should say it if you love the lord you should tell him god i love you if you love your spouse or or others in the church or something you should tell them that because that's just a good thing but it's more than just something you say it's something that you do and show as well with regard to god uh, we read in john 14 15 jesus said if you love me you will keep my commandments. In other words, if you look around and see someone obeying the scriptures and and doing what the Bible tells them to do, that could be an indicator that person maybe loves the Lord because they're listening to him. With regard to one another, uh, the the, the thrust is so strong in scripture that we're not just supposed to say that we love each other but show it by our actions. And I'm, I'm saying if this is absent, this love for God and love for others, that's Quite a bad sign. That's not like, oh well, we've slightly missed the mark on a minor point. It's like, you're kind of missing like one of the biggest points, if not the biggest point. So in a dead church, sometimes you will see a lack of love. Number three, in a dead church, you will sometimes notice a lack of serving or good works. When we read the book of James a few months ago, we read that we're supposed to show our faith in God by the good works that we do and I was reading in Romans chapter 12 this week and I I came across verse 11 excuse me, which I think ties in nicely Uh, it says, do not be slothful in zeal that just rolls off the tongue, slothful in zeal but fervent in spirit and and, and serve the Lord Uh, Galatians 5.13 tells us we're supposed to serve one another in love And I'm saying a church that's dead will not have a lot of good works and or service to show for it. In a dead church, and I'm not talking about just on Sunday morning. I'm talking about all week long. Our faith is 168 hours a week, not just two on Sunday. In a dead church, people aren't serving. People aren't helping. People aren't lifting a finger. People aren't really doing much of anything. When someone has a need, no one is there. When someone cries out for help, the the, the response is... It's crickets. Silence. Finally, number four. In a dead church, sometimes you see apathy. Somebody say apathy. I couldn't resist. I had to. So in a dead church, there there is sometimes an overwhelming sense of I just don't care. I, I just don't care. And this is such a dangerous attitude to have. Jesus is going to tell us a bit later on a couple weeks from now that he 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 wishes we were either hot or cold. He would he would rather have us cold and out altogether than to be in but not really in. So a church where the people, right from the leaders to everyone else, has the I don't give a rip mentality, that's pretty alarming. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll just recap. A dead church, you can see heartless religion, a lack of love, lack of serving or good works, and, and apathy. And again, guys, I will just stress, I do not believe this describes our church. I see lots of people who love the Lord. I see lots of people who love one another. I see serving and good works. I, I, I don't sense an overwhelming sense of apathy. But I'm saying we want to keep growing And keep experiencing the good things that we do have in increasing measure. And we need to be diligent to make sure we are doing our part as the people of God. We need to make sure that we are taking the steps that we need to take to help ensure our faith is not growing cold or that our flame is dying out. If we get comfortable in our faith, we will become complacent and lethargic and and probably lazy, just like the people in Sardis did. We will let our guard down, and that will potentially leave us vulnerable to attack. So we need to make sure we are intentionally pressing in. I I implore you, keep seeking the Lord, keep reading His Word, keep praying, keep spending time with other believers for fellowship and encouragement keep looking for God's leading in your life. What 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 is he wanting you to do right now? Who is he wanting you to speak to right now? What is he trying to get you to start or stop doing? Keep pouring into the relationship that you have with the Lord. I'm we're we're coming in. I'm going to wrap up here. The band is not coming up. I'm sorry. I got to get over this. Here's the ask of you. Actually, there are two things. Number one, I want you to examine your heart. How is your fire burning these days? Are you alive and vibrant as a Christian? Or are you maybe dwindling a little bit? Is your flame dying? Are you already dead? Be honest with yourself. It does you no good to to not be honest with yourself. If you examine your heart and you determine that you are more on the dead wavelength than the alive one, I want to just encourage you quickly. God loves you. God has grace for you. And even if you are just about dead in your faith, even if you are just about ready to give up, throw in the towel, you just barely care anymore. God will meet you in that if you will seek Him. You you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to God. He wants to meet you exactly where you are. He loves you. He has grace for you. He has good for you. And He is inviting you into a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Him. So don't run from God But approach him. The Bible says we can boldly approach his throne of grace. And he will meet you exactly where you are and give you exactly what you need. Even if you're like, I know I probably should want that, but I just don't feel it at all. I I, I just can't encourage you enough. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Seek the Lord. Pray. Get with him. He, he, He wants to meet you where you're at examine your heart the second thing and then i'm done i want you to pray for your church i I want you to pray that god would strengthen the flame that we have in our church yes there are things on our end that we need to do to work toward this strengthening we've already talked about that but but one touch that's all i'm saying is one touch from god can change everything One breath of God and that flame just So pray for that for our church. Pray with us. Pray for us. Ask God to do a mighty work in our church. Wherever you're tuning in from this morning or whatever time of day it is I I want you to just go with me Uh, before the Lord. I want to pray for us. God, uh, Heavenly Father, the, the great I am, the almighty, we acknowledge who you are today. You are the creator, the sustainer, the provider for all of life. And we need you desperately. God, we love to be your people. We love to be part of a church. And God, this morning I would ask on a church-wide scale, God, for us as a corporate entity, the harbor, God, not because we deserve it or you owe us anything, but God, we're appealing to your grace and just asking God, would you do a work among us? Would you, would you send your spirit in increasing measure? Would you light up our church God, I'm thankful that we're not a dead church. But God, you know, we don't want to just be content with where we're at. We want more of you, God. So we're just saying, Lord, we're declaring it. Um, You are welcome among us. And God, if there are things in our hearts as a church that we need to move past to kind of make more room for you, God, show us what we need to do. On an individual level. Father God, I'm I'm thinking of those who are listening and are struggling in their faith. I'm praying, Lord, that you would fan the flame in their hearts. God, and and here's the beautiful thing about you: we all have different specific needs, and we come from different specific angles and, and backgrounds and situations. God, you know exactly what we need, and. I don't say this at all to generalize, but God, I'm asking that for all who need a touch from you, God, would you give them exactly what they need? If it's peace, if it's encouragement, if it's joy, if it's forgiveness, if it's just a reminder of of who they are in you, um, God, would you give them exactly what they need? Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Say it with me, God's people. Amen. Thanks for listening.